Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. Hey everybody, welcome to this special bonus episode of MindShift Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clint Haycock. What you're about to hear in a minute is actually a follow-up call, which wasn't supposed to be a follow-up. What happened was we had our normal February MindShift Zoom call scheduled, and David Johnson was a returning guest. He'd been on the show. In fact, if you've been listening, we just did an episode that came out just a Friday or so ago with him on this question of a so-called Christian defense of slavery. And this, of course, is in the larger context of my really in-depth look at controversial pastor, or some might say cult leader, Doug Wilson out of Moscow, Idaho. And we were talking about, in parts of it, we were talking about his 1996 book that he co-wrote with Stephen Wilkins, which was called Southern Slavery as it was. And of course, it's been sort of rebooted now. It's called Black and Tan. But this was the sort of the impetus of the conversation that led us into a lot of other places. And so what happened was, as I say, this was supposed to be the MindShift Zoom call that we do every month with returning guests. But then because there was nobody in on the call, we ended up speaking for nearly an hour on this subject. And some of the things we were able to go back around and assess and address some of the comments that I'd had on the episode. In fact, one of the comments, as you'll hear in a minute, was one person on Twitter saying something how we'd overlooked some New Testament passages. We took a long look at some Old Testament passages on slavery. We kind of touched on Paul a little bit and Peter, and maybe some of the things Jesus said. But in this episode, what you're about to hear is me and David going into real detail on this issue of some New Testament passages, and we talk about the larger context and what's going on. Is Paul actually condoning slavery? Is he taking a stand against it? What's happening there? And so we're going to look at that in a minute. And then we talk about some other issues, Christians defending slavery, that we didn't get into in the podcast. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with David Johnson, a bonus episode, a follow-up to our podcast the other day on a so-called Christian defense of slavery. Uh, we are recording. For some reason, we didn't have anyone drop in on this call, but that doesn't matter. Um, David Johnson is here. He's got COVID. His video's not working, but it doesn't matter. We're going to have a great conversation anyway. So welcome, David. I'm sorry that you've got COVID. I hope you're doing okay over there. Yeah, I think that's actually why no one dropped in the call. They <laughs> yes, just for the record. Had COVID. Yeah. They, uh, they thought, no, I don't want anything to do with it. Not that. chance. And just for the record, you cannot catch COVID on a Zoom call. <laughs> no, I think that you can catch it on 5G. That's uh, true. Yeah, that's that's how they spread it. It's a pandemic yeah. <laughs> with conspiracy theories. So just off the back of our episode that just dropped Friday, as as we're doing this now on Sunday... Uh, we did an episode, it was actually, I realized it was all the way back in October of 2022. I can't believe it was that many months ago that we talked about a Christian defense of slavery, which was about an hour and a half long discussion. It was an absolutely fantastic session. I don't know how you felt about it, but I really enjoyed it. And I learned a lot as well from that chat. I always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah, I mean, we do the research and, and obviously I'm, I'm in the midst of this series on Doug Wilson. That's kind of what prompted it. I've only got two more episodes to do. I cannot believe I've taken such a deep dive. I've done two plus hour episodes on him, talking about his backstory, talking about his theology, talking about um, the, the next one that's coming up is about his legacy now, because what's happening now is his sort of Christian patriarchy message. It's going into the second generation people, and so it's being spread even into some really disturbing places have you heard of the manosphere? Are you familiar with that, David? No, you have, you just uh, dropped some knowledge on me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, okay, so do you know Andrew Tate? You, did you hear this? You know, he was recently in the news being being arrested in uh, Romania? No. <clears throat> okay, so he, he's kind of a leading figure in the manosphere, and it's basically an online community that's, uh, to say that it's, it's, it's anti-feminist, anti-women, it would be kind of an overstatement. 
but this is the so-called incels, the pickup artists, all these kind of people, guys like Andrew Tate, who basically, it's a secular movement, but they're very anti-women, anti-feminist. They blame women for their problems, basically, and there's a, there's a lot to it. But what we're seeing now is Doug Wilson and some of his sort of compadres, guys that have been influenced by him, because he's probably one of the biggest leading figures in the biblical patriarchy movement. Now, people are taking his message into the secular manosphere, and it's finding an audience with these incels and people like that. So some really disturbing stuff that's going on. And their their argu argument is that they're doing it to preach the gospel. you know. But the fact is, is the message resonates because they're blaming feminism for corrupting the church and you know, all this kind of stuff. So there's some really disturbing things. So that's the last episode that's coming out. So yeah, there's a lot of disturbing things going on. You, you've got your hands in the dirty dishwater, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. So this whole thing with, with when I wanted to speak to you was all about Doug Wilson's book that came out. It was co-authored with a guy called Stephen Wilkins. And he's another interesting figure because he's the, he's a co-founder of the League of the South. Are you familiar with the League of the South at all? Uh, it seems I've heard of it, but I don't I don't know enough to really be kind of conversant about it. Yeah, it's it's a neo-Confederate movement. So this guy is a pastor of a church out of well Auburn Avenue, Mississippi, uh, and now he's still in Auburn, still in Mississippi somewhere, but. He's he's a, he was a leading figure in this sort of reviving of the neo you know, neo Confederate movement. He's an inveterate racist. He's a Presbyterian pastor, and he co-authored this book along with Doug Wilson back in 1996. And it's basically it's an, a Christian or biblical defense of slavery. And I've got some passages we could read. I read a couple things in our episode I recall that we talked about. But yeah, it was really good. To, I think going into the biblical verses. In fact, that's one of the feedbacks that came up. We we apparently missed a passage, David, so we're going to have to correct that <laughs> for some of the listeners. For the record, I wasn't trying to be exhaustive. <laughs> no. okay, yeah, I should have been there a while longer if I was making an exhaustive case. I, I was doing more of a survey and overview. Uh, yeah, it was really helpful. Um, and Well, do you want to hear this passage? Maybe yeah. we should deal with that first off. So somebody on Twitter responded because i obviously tweeted out the that i was got, coming out with this episode on friday and he said well i appreciated the discussion but you missed the passage because we we were talking about paul apostle paul being pro-slavery in the sense that he didn't take a stand against it he you know he would say things like slaves obey your masters masters treat your slaves well that's right. the best i think you could say right that he, he would wanted a happy slavery system he didn't he didn't yeah but this person on Twitter responded and said, you didn't talk about 1 Corinthians 7. So I've got Bible Gateway up. In fact, you know what I can do? I'll share it so people can see the passage. Um, and you can see it here. Let's see. Chapter where he's talking about women. And there, there's so there's a lot of context here. And the slavery part of this is almost offhand and um yeah not the not actually the main point that he's making but uh yeah d uh, definitely let's go over it i'm I'm familiar with the passage yeah so like as you say so looking at the context of it um the the kind of the gist as you say it's it's about marriage and there's some kind of disturbing stuff about the wife doesn't have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband and so forth the the kind of key principle I get out of it is whatever state you're called to when you were a Christian, you shouldn't seek to change it. You know, because he says, uh, verse 12, to the rest I say this, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her and she must not divorce him if he's not a Christian. You know, and then he goes on to this thing about slavery. So here's this passage concerning change of status, verse 17. And following, he says, nevertheless, each person each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. And he talked about circumcision and so forth. Then he finishes that same principle, verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Then here's the key, verse 21, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. 
And I think that was the issue that the guy had with, with our talk. And then he says, for, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So he repeats that principle three times. So what do you think of that passage then, David? Did we miss out? Because he says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. And so there's the case where Paul does take a stand against slavery. No. Right. So why not? So... The short answer, no. <laughs> yeah, the short answer, first and foremost, is this is a desperate misreading of the passage. And and uh, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I've seen Christians kind of desperately grasp at this. They want to ignore everything else, literally everything else the Bible says, and kind of grasp at this uh, to say, you see, you see, he, he didn't... It's way to take a stand. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did not take a stand, and th- this is not what's going on. So... Um, to unfold that a little bit deeper, uh, in this particular passage, I am pretty sure that the slavery he is talking about is a voluntary uh, type of indentured servitude, a debt slavery. Right, so not the Roman sort of slave system? Exactly. Don't sell yourself as a slave, in other words. So whatever's going on, you shouldn't sell yourself as a slave you know, for money and uh, debt service. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you are free, remain free. Uh, you've got you've got business to do. You don't have time to be uh, you know voluntarily becoming someone's slave. But mm. the slavery we see throughout the Old and New Testament, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time had to do with involuntary slavery. Right. So chattel <laughs> slavery. Exactly. But this is, Paul is talking about um, the situation of people voluntarily selling themselves into a situation to pay off debts. And he's saying, don't do that. This is a bad time to do that right now. In the same way, he's saying, if you're not married, don't get married. Don't seek to get married. Or divorce. Uh, if you, yeah. Or, or, yeah, right. If, and and if, if you're in a crappy marriage uh in your you've got an unbelieving spouse don't worry about the theology of it stay where you are and so when he says for instance if you are a slave and can't obtain your freedom he's talking about once again the kind of voluntary debt slavery that where you could obtain your freedom if it's involuntary slavery you can't obtain your freedom you can't just ask Hey, can I leave? So this is not Paul saying run at the first opportunity. Uh, right. so we can we can actually see, uh, you know, we can read the letter of Philemon and get a very full picture or a yeah. much fuller picture on how Paul felt about slavery. Paul didn't tell uh, Philemon. Uh, Onesimus. Onesimus. Uh, Paul didn't tell Onesimus to free. Philemon. Is that right? Philemon was the slave of Onesimus. Philemon was the was the master of Onesimus. So Onesimus, I think, fled to Paul right. in some other city, thinking, you know, he because he knew he had a relationship with Philemon, because he had led to Philemon to, to faith in Christ. Apparently wasn't this this was slave Onesimus seeing an opportunity to run and he ran yeah. like oh and Paul said, No, you can't do that. Yeah, you gotta go back. You and, gotta but, go you gotta yeah. go back. And he tells Philemon uh, he, he's not just your slave, he's your brother in Christ. Yeah, don't be harsh on him when he does come back. Because he carried the letter with him, apparently, wasn't it? That's, you know, you say, take this letter back and I'll I'll smooth the waters when you do get back so exactly. you don't get in all kinds of trouble. But what he did not do was break that bond of slavery, yeah. uh, of, of chattel servitude and ownership. And so, you know, it's trying to treat First Corinthians like, the way Christians are, are trying to treat it is a matter of desperation. I And I say it's mm. really disingenuous because in this particular case, Paul writes a whole book on yeah. this subject. So, no, this all-hand mention does not cancel out the thing that Paul uh, wrote. Now, Especially if, in his other epistles. 
Well, and this, this this is the other argument. I don't think we mentioned this, but I thought of this when I was listening to our conversation on the podcast, and that was that I've heard Christians say, well, you see, David, here's the problem. The Roman system was in effect at the time. He, Paul couldn't have changed it, even if he wanted to, because it was the, the law of the land. The, you know, Rome was in charge of, of the whole Roman Empire, so they they slavery was legal. It was the whole system on which Rome was built. Most, you know, most the economy was built on slave labor. So therefore, even if Paul wanted to change it, he couldn't have, you know, right. so what about that? He, uh, went, he wasn't pushing against slavery at all, but it, it's not just yeah. the Romans. Slavery was legal among the Jews as well. The, <laughs> there, was, there was nothing about their captivity that meant that they couldn't hold slaves. And, right. you know, many of the parables and, and stories that Jesus told involved slaves uh, and masters, at least a few there. So no. this is this is not, in fact, uh, some kind of um, speech against the idea of slavery. But if you'll allow me to just take one step deeper than all of this, to kind of paint the context in a little bit more. Well, now, can I just say before you do that, what one thing that strikes me about it is this verse twenty-two. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. It almost seems like he's spiritualizing and he's saying, listen, if you're a slave, um, your status isn't going to change if you became a Christian, you know, but somehow you're the Lord's free man or free woman, you know, and somehow that's going to make it right. (laughs) You know, I'm still a slave. Hello. You know, whatever state you find yourself in, let us uh, let you uh, there with be content. Be content in whatever the circumstance you find yourself in. This is this is a Pauline idea throughout Pauline's letters, and don't that is kind of pseudo Pauline, um, Ephesians, Timothy, and so forth carries on this this notion of being. Uh, faithful to your uh, slave masters. Yeah, he uh, says that. To serve them with serving most of heart, yeah. uh, not not to try to run away. So this is, uh, but it, it, there's a, a piece here in 1 Corinthians that I think that people might be missing, and uh, I talked about this on Red Letters, um, oh, not not too long ago. Um, patreon.com slash red letters. A shameless plug. I'm, I'm contractually obligated to that. <laughs> I, I wrote and signed the contract, but never mind. Yes. Um, so um, the, uh, just, just to back up a half a step, Jesus is what I call an imminent apocalypticist. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is something that I will be getting to in more detail on, uh, on the show, but uh, without going into detail there, Jesus thought that the end of all things was coming very soon. Yeah. He said, there are those of you who will not see death until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. And that's, that says it all right there. There there are people who are standing here who won't die before I come back. (laughs) Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, so the, the, the Olivet Discourse is, is worth reading, worth studying. And, um, it's really hard to draw draw other conclusions, but I, I don't want to get too far down that hole. I just want to say that even before the the Gospels were written, Paul was also an imminent apocalypticist. It uh-huh. also thought that the apocalypse, the end of things, was coming, and I I really do believe he thought the end of all things was coming, but whether or not we're right about that he also felt strongly that the end of the of life as they knew it uh, would be coming to an end soon and perhaps it's because of you know harsh relationships between the Jews and the Romans and you know people at that time could sense that war was afoot mm-hmm. just like you know we do today you know we yeah you know, feel like we can sense war afoot, you know, when it's a few years off because we can we can read the tea leaves. Yeah. Paul was very certain that the page was about to turn. And so this is this is why it's important to kind of realize this is this is not even about slavery, this is about marriage. 
uh, in what Paul is saying about marriage is a thing that almost all Christians ignore completely. Because what they say, and rightfully so, is that Paul was talking about a special circumstance at that time. Don't get married at this time because of the current distress. Yeah, now, he says that. No one, knows, no one knows what the current distress is. And he never says, after the current distress, uh, then it's okay to get married again. No. So whatever the current distress is, he may have thought that that was going to be the end of all things. But he's hmm. saying, don't change your status now. It doesn't make sense. If you are married, uh, stay married. If you're uh, unmarried, stay unmarried. If you uh, have lands, act as if you don't. Uh, if you are, uh, you know, free, act as if you were enslaved. If you were rich, act as if you were poor, because everything that you know is coming to an end. This is this is kind of the broader context here. Mm -hmm. so when he talks about this slavery, and again, I believe he's specifically talking about debt slavery, the kind of slavery that a person could voluntarily go into and out of. Uh, don't look to go into slavery. And if you've, if you've got some business deals that tie you to this world and this system, get out of them if you can. Uh, mm -hmm. because nothing that you see here is going to continue as you know it today. And so yeah. this is what Paul is advising people. Uh, he is not making some political statement about slavery. In uh, as as you know the the government yeah. slave taking a stand against it. That's not what he's talking about. Yeah. So I just, I just kind of wanted to to bring that in for context, and I think that people who kind of desperately grasp onto this passage in First Corinthians they know that because when it comes to divorce, they say, "Ah, no, we don't have to listen to that. That's not." There was a special circumstance when it comes to this. We say, you see, you see, Paul was against slavery and he wanted it ended forever. No, yeah. he did. Uh, so, um, oh, and there's a mountain of evidence that shows in all the other epistles said that, you know, he says it over and over and over when he talks about the household codes and like husbands and wives and children and parents. And then he goes into masters and slaves. Every, every epistle follows a format, you know, it's an epistolary format. So he, and he gets into that, and he says virtually the same thing in every epistle when he comes to masters and slaves. Slaves obey your masters. Masters treat your servants well, your slaves well. So you could at least say, well, he was trying to soften a bad system at best. Maybe he was saying, telling masters, well, don't be so harsh on your slaves. But, you know, like you said, even Philemon, he doesn't say, you know, now that we're in this Christian system, you should go ahead and free Onesimus. That, that would be the right thing to do now. You know, now that your brother's in Christ, um, he says, no, welcome him back, but just don't beat on him because he tried to escape because your brothers and you owe me your very life, as he says, you know, because I led you to the Lord. It's kind of a veiled hint, isn't it? You owe me something too. Don't forget, Philemon. So it's not just, um, it's not just Paul either. Uh, so yeah, Paul. you mentioned Peter says something as well, didn't he? or whoever's masquerading as Peter. Right. The, the, the fool calling himself Peter. <laughs> Fine. Um, let me pull this up uh, real quick. One, I'm real slow about this. Uh, this is just my lack of preparation. Uh, it's First Peter 2. And I want to say 25, 19, 25. First Peter 2, anyway, let me just, oh, yeah, that's right here, verse 18. I'm looking at it on Bible Gateway again. Slaves submit to your masters with due respect, not only to those who are kind and forbearing. This is this is a very important piece here. Yeah. Because this isn't, if you understand that this is talking about slavery, and this is the real slavery, <laughs> he's not just saying uh, slavery uh, to people who are decent folks. Yeah, um, so we're looking at it here. Yeah, yeah. Um, your masters do uh, with due respect, not to, not only to those who are kind and forbearing, but also to those who are harsh. Mm -hmm. It is a sign of grace if you endure the pain 
This again, this word is very important because we are now talking about very harsh treatment that causes pain. We're the pain of unjust suffering from a harsh master because of your awareness of God. And uh, in other translations, uh, it just says God is pleased. If, if you can endure the pain, this, this does not say if you find yourself in a, uh, unjust slavery situation and they treat you harshly and the, and the pain is too much run like hell. There's no passage that says that it, it says endure yeah. the pain in God. Um, please. And, and Christ is the example as, as Peter goes on to say, isn't it to this, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So there's a really fucked up theology of suffering there because um and christians even today don't they they've always had this issue of you know suffering is almost seen as a good thing paradoxically um one of the beatitudes was about uh, um suffering the very last one uh but uh yeah don't leave this one too quick verse 23 when he when he was abused yeah did not retaliate and what the full uh, calling himself Peter is saying is, yeah, this, this slavery is going to involve some abuse. Yeah. Okay. Deal with it. Live with it. Because in the end, God is pleased if you can endure it for his sake. Yeah. And, and, and he's saying, um, he didn't retaliate, didn't make any threats when he was, uh, suffering. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So the argument is a one day, all this will be made right, maybe not in this lifetime, but God will be the ultimate judge, you know. And I think you mentioned that in our podcast. You talked about in the Southern slavery system, the Black Church even today has this mentality whereby they would say, "Well, someday, even not in this lifetime, but someday we're gonna things are gonna be made right," you know. And that's a, that's deeply you know built into the DNA of even the Black Church today. I mean, is that based on this kind of logic and passages like this? Yes. Uh, yes. And also from um, the Beatitudes, uh, which I mentioned, chapter yeah. 5, Matthew, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted in the cause of justice, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Next one here, verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you. Yeah. and persecute you and utter all kinds of insults uh, against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. In the same manner they persecuted the prophets. Right. Same theology. Right. It's 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 this theology of suffering, and suffering is good. It's, it's this Mother Teresa kind of uh, theology and the celebration of suffering. And if you suffer for Jesus, then he's pleased. And this is exactly the, the language used in first Peter, uh, with regard to slavery. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, again, I appreciate the person calling out first Corinthians seven, as if we have never read this passage before. <laughs> We've studied it. We preached it. I preached I one one time. I preached all the way through First Corinthians at my church in Portland. It took like a year to do it, you know. So I went in depth and chapter after chapter, passage after passage, you know. So yeah, I've been there. I've done it. I don't want to come off as a jerk. Uh, <laughs> I know that this person who is saying this is probably just repeating something that he's heard someone else say or yes, yeah, video read in a book. And, and doesn't understand the context and think that this somehow wipes out the stink of slavery in the mm-hmm. New Testament. So I'm not, I don't want to say that they're, I know I used the word disingenuous before. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to insult someone who's doing their best to, you know, these, this is probably a very kind-hearted person who has a very kind-hearted Jesus and a very kind-hearted Paul in mind. And so he reads these people as he would want them to yeah. know, have that you and did I, take I, a stand. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to tell you, um, dear listener, uh, that that simply isn't the case. Yeah. 
that's not what that's talking about. And you, you can't just kind of use this out of context to erase the mountain of, of texts in the New Testament about this, including the whole book that Paul wrote on the subject. So, yeah. Not to mention the Old Testament, which we covered a lot of those in detail. When we come back from the break, David and I are going to get into why exactly would Christians defend slavery? This was something that kind of hit me as we did the first episode. Why in the world would any Christian want to defend slavery? And then I know of at least two answers to that question, and I'm going to throw it over onto David. And then later I'm going to play a little clip from John MacArthur, the controversial pastor who's actually in the news right now. If you've been following anything on the Roy's Report the website or their podcast. Julie Royce has been doing a lot of in-depth uh, reporting on John MacArthur, what's going on in his sort of world. And of course, if you know anything about John MacArthur, among other things, he's very much in that sort of biblical patriarchy world, right along with guys like John Piper and Doug Wilson. So he's another one to kind of keep an eye out on. So I'm going to play a clip from him. Believe it or not, he's going to defend slavery. So it's not just Doug Wilson. It's far from an isolated case. And of course, I don't mention that in this podcast, but the real concern with Doug Wilson is that his teachings have gone far and wide into the Christian homeschooling movement. So you've got a whole couple of generations now, really, of kids who have been raised with Doug Wilson's views on Southern slavery, a sort of a revisionist, racist view of history of Christian defense of slavery. So it's not just an isolated thing. He has a massive reach into the classical Christian schools, the Christian homeschooling movement. So this is a real concern. This is not just something that I'm making up by any stretch of the imagination. So after this bonus episode, what's going to happen? If you've been following the series on Doug Wilson, try to hang with me. We're nearly finished with it. We're going to do two more episodes. The next one that's coming out is an interview that I did a while back with Dr. Nick Geyer. And he, of course, was Doug Wilson's professor back in the 1970s at the University of Idaho. He taught philosophy there. Something I pointed out in one of the episodes might have been the first one. Doug Wilson actually has no formal theological training. He's never been to Bible college, never been to seminary. He's done a master's degree in philosophy at the U of Idaho. And of course, over the decades, really, Dr. Geyer has kind of opposed Doug Wilson. He lives in that area, the Moscow, Idaho area. And so he's written a lot of things on various websites and blogs about Doug Wilson, exposing a lot of the stuff that he's done over the years. Really, a lot of it's behind the scenes. So Dr. Geyer is a valuable resource He's not just someone who remembers him from classes in 1977. This is a guy who's worked for years to expose Doug Wilson right in the Moscow area. And then the final episode we're going to do is another sort of a long-form look at the legacy of Doug Wilson. What's happening now is you've got sort of second, third generation pastors who've been influenced by Doug Wilson in one way or another. They're associates of Doug Wilson. They've written books on his Canon Press website and other things. And they're now taking his sort of biblical or Christian patriarchy message into what's called the manosphere, which David and I get into in this episode as well. We talked about that a little bit at the beginning. This is a real concern because his, his message is finding a home in a very toxic sort of anti-women, anti-feminist, very misogynistic world of the manosphere. So this is a major, major concern. This is one of the, just one of the toxic legacies of Doug Wilson. So that's going to be the last episode. And I think I mentioned this before, I've got enough material. If people want me to do an in-depth dive into Doug Wilson and Wilkins's book, Southern Slavery As It Was, which of course we've touched on in this episode and the last one with David Johnson, I could do a complete standalone episode on a theological war thesis. What is it? What's the backstory behind not just the book, Southern Slavery As It Was, but the connections to R.J. Rushdoony, the founder of Christian Reconstructionism? There's a whole nother story to this whole issue. This is not just the book by any stretch of the imagination. It's actually quite a disturbing thing, which is kind of part and parcel of what's called the neo-Confederate movement. So there's a lot of stuff that's gone on, much more so than this book. So if you want me to do that, you can reach out to me. And there's a couple of different ways you can do that. One way to do that would be just to send me a DM on Twitter. You can follow me there at MindShift2018. Send me a message there or tweet something over to me. The other way is to look up my public Facebook page, the Mindship Podcast Facebook page. You can send a message, a little button you can click, send an email there, and I'll get that. In fact, a lot of you have written to me in the last couple of months about my series on Doug Wilson, so I really appreciate that. 
you have any thoughts, questions, comments on anything related to Doug Wilson or anything related to Colts or whatever, send me a message there through the Mindshift Podcast public Facebook page. And then, of course, you can always support the show. That helps me to keep doing what I'm doing. It kind of defrays some of the expenses that I've got every month to keep bringing you this show. You can become a Patreon supporter of the show. And as always, the links to that are in the show notes. We've got, in fact, speaking of supporters, you're going to get access to next month's Mindshift Zoom call with Sam Terode. He's got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So we're going to have Sam on in the month of March. And then I think in the month of April, we're going to have Elgin Strait. And he's a former Mooney. I'm going to be talking to him actually coming up very soon. I'm also going to be talking to Benny Koshis. She's another cult survivor. So there's some really interesting interviews coming up. In fact, I had a conversation just the other day with Nathaniel Manderson. He writes a lot on Salon. He's a liberal Christian. In fact, he and I ended up having a lot in common. We found out we went to the same seminary together in New England. So that was a kind of a surprising connection to make. So again, look for that conversation coming up with Nate Manderson. And then finally, I've been chatting with Heather Hamilton. She's just come out with a book called Returning to Eden. And this is hitting it big on Amazon right now. So we're going to be having a chat with Heather at some point coming up too. So some really cool content coming down the road here on Mindship Podcast. Anyway, let's get back into the second half of this chat with David Johnson as we continue to take a look at this follow-up conversation to a Christian defense of slavery. This is my question. Now, why, I don't think I asked you this in the podcast, but why do Christians defend slavery? Because I think there's at least two reasons I can think of. Maybe maybe you have some other ones, but for Doug Wilson and Wilkins, the answer is really to do with defending the inerrancy of the Bible. And they, I think I mentioned this in the podcast. I read a little section from their book, and they argue that you cannot allow any crack to appear in the inerrancy argument of the Bible. And therefore, because the Bible condones slavery in the Old and New Testament, they are therefore forced to defend it and say that Southern slavery was actually a, a mutually beneficial thing, that the only criticism you could level against Southern slavery was that it wasn't 100% biblical, in air quotes. And that was the one of the things that led to the South being judged by God. And then there's the other argument, which I'd mentioned, David Barton, the wall builders, the Christian nationalist piece, and that is they, they have to defend slavery because in the, their argument is that because America was a Christian nation, how could God bless America if slavery was an evil thing? And they will turn around and say, well, it wasn't evil. And that's why God was be able to bless America the way he did. Therefore, America is and always was a Christian nation and should be one again. So those are two arguments. You could say, well, I understand why Christians would feel the need to defend slavery. Have you heard any more along those lines that might, might be different? Well, so I, I let me just say in full agreement, yes, uh, there's a certain Christian, certain kind of Christian that has to defend slavery. Yeah, you're forced, really. Right, because the as they understand the Bible, the Bible defends slavery, and therefore a true Christian must defend slavery. They cannot blush at yeah. that. So yeah, warts and all, they have to defend it. Right, but, but it's also fair that we acknowledge the other type of Christian. So, for instance, our, our First Corinthians 7 commenter would represent the other type of Christian. And they kind of come at this from a different angle. And their angle is because slavery is wrong, then God never defended slavery. Right. And so you have to go through the Bible where all of that slavery stuff is and explain it away somehow. And, and you have to explain it away faithfully and carefully and thoroughly, and you can't right. leave cracks in that armor, otherwise you would have God uh, condoning slavery. And so they also feel forced, and so it really depends at which side of this you're coming from. Mm -hmm. From we have to, the Bible is true, uh, and uh, God uh, condones slavery, then they're forced to say slavery is therefore good. And if they're yeah. coming at it from the perspective of slavery is bad, and and therefore the Bible actually cannot be condoning slavery. Right. You have to explain it away then. So the opposite, 
It's the opposite problem that they got. That's so funny. In 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 each case, they are both complete. They their hand is already dealt for them, and they just have to play it. Yeah, and I think the the David Barton article on the Wall Builders website, he goes down some of that line, and this is what R.J. Rushdoony, the founder of Christian Reconstructionism, part of his earlier argument is that well, what you're seeing in the Bible when it says slavery is not really slavery. Not like we think of it, you know, in, in human chattel terms and things like that. And he goes through an exhaustive detail and breaks down all these different kind of categories. And it's not as bad as it really think as you think it was. And so he's he's kind of going down that line as well, like you just articulated. He's explaining a lot of it away. It's not as bad. It's not as severe as as it sounds when you read the word slavery. Don't don't think of slavery like we think of. You know, it was more like indentured servants. And I think we talked about that in the podcast. Well, and there were there was indentured servitude. Yeah, yeah, so, it was it was a thing. Let's be let's be clear about that. Indentured servitude was a part of the economic structure. Yeah, and um, it wasn't the same as slavery. Uh, but to be clear, in uh, again, I didn't look at my references. I want to say Leviticus twenty-five. Um, either that or Deuteronomy twenty-five. Yeah, the pastors we looked at. Right. So it in that passage, it actually makes a distinction between the two types of serv- servitude. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it distinguishes on the one hand, don't treat your Jewish brothers as slaves, as chattel that you own. Right. Uh, tr- but rather treat them as employees. Th- this is very explicit. But of the slaves that are not your Jewish brothers, those you can treat as yeah. You can as- pass them all to your children, and they're your slaves for forever, basically. For life. Exactly. And the G- the Jews could be had to be released every seven years at the year of jubilee, which was a a, cl- a, sca- a literal an escape clause that the a foreigner wouldn't have had in that system. Right, and um, the uh, if I recall correctly, the it was even sweeter than that for the Jews because yeah, the jubilee was every seven years, but it was a set seven years. Right. So if you sold yourself into slavery for uh, some great debt in year six and a half, yeah. you still only serve six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, so it was it it really was an economic system, but the Bible distinguishes that from the other slavery that it's talking about. And so when Christians try to say, oh, well, the slavery, it wasn't that bad, uh, I I think they're ignoring the the fact that there was the the two systems of slavery, and they just would like to conflate it, conflate it, I'm sorry, and and make the bad slavery go away. And Mm -hmm. you can't do that. Um, the other, the thing that I, you know, when I've debated uh, Christians on on this, um, I've I, I just ask them something a lot simpler. I step away from the theology. Would you want your child currently yeah. to be under your idea, whatever your idea is, of the biblical form of slavery? Yes or no? It's yeah. always no. That ends the debate right there and then and there, isn't it? Right. <laughs> even the, I think you said something like even the the best slave system, you know, that you could possibly imagine. I wouldn't want my daughters in that system, you know. Right. And yeah, I mean, I wish I hadn't mentioned daughters because uh, yes, uh, you know, we we could talk about uh, female slavery. Yeah, we t- we talked about that on the show. It's I don't, I don't different want... rules for women. Yeah, it's uh, it's bad. It's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. So um, they're not released on the seventh year of jubilee, and there's all these clauses for the women that 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 that, that don't apply to the men. Yeah, there's there's marriage and or sex um, and stuff. It's look, it is what you think it is. Yeah. Uh, and and we don't need to go into that but i you know yeah. you you asked me um you know uh why i thought that people you know felt the need to defend 
slavery. And, and there is also, I should mention, a third branch of Christianity mm. that doesn't feel the need to defend slavery at all, and that would be the progressive Christian. Yeah. The progressive Christian would simply read all of that stuff about slavery, and they would acknowledge that that slavery went on in the name of God, but they would say that those people actually misunderstood God's will, and they were attributing falsely to God the uh, commands about slavery. So, right. uh, you know, they their God is a very progressive God. And, yeah, God didn't, you know, go in and destroy them and, you know, force them to change all of their terrible social structures. Uh, but he revealed gradually over thousands of years uh, how he really wanted people to live. And so... Yeah. Progressive uh, revelation in a way, okay. yeah. So they would they would not be forced to defend slavery, and they're not even uh, explaining it away by redefining slavery. They yeah. they would say, yeah, it actually absolutely did happen exactly the way you read it. It's just that all of those passages that say let's say the Lord were not really the Lord. It was their mis misapprehension of what the Lord wanted. Yeah, I think a similar argument could be made for the passages that describe God commanding the Israelites to commit genocide in the Old Testament. Wouldn't you say the same thing? You could say, well, it wasn't really God who commanded them to commit. It was man, basically, humanity, twisting what they what they thought was the Word of God, or they just said, oh, God told me that we have to kill them all. So, you know, that's, that's what ended up being written in the text, was that God commanded. But it wasn't really God. God would never do that. He would never command slavery. He would never command genocide. He's a loving, merciful, kind, and forgiving God. You know, that's the God we want to worship on a Sunday morning in church. We don't want to worship the uh, angry God of the Old Testament. You know, we don't want that God. Well, I'll tell you who you should uh, bring on your show for a good chat, uh, if you're up to it. Randall Rouser, he's a proponent of uh, this <sighs> type of Randall. teaching. And he's a, he's a friend of mine. I love him. Uh we we agree about nothing. Yes, I've had a few. I've had a go around with Randall once before. <laughs> He's fun to talk to. Likes a bear fight. I I I think I'm. I don't know if I mentioned this, but we he and I got into it one time on in a Twitter war a couple yeah. of years ago over this issue of genocide, the Old Testament, and I actually wrote a paper for his blog that he then wrote a rebuttal to, and then I wrote re rebuttal to his rebuttal. And went back and forth about five or six times, and then I finally just gave up because it was pointless. So I, I know who Randall Rouser is. He's actually a professor at some seminary in Canada, I think, or he was when I was dealing with him. He's still a working professor. Yeah, it's like a, he's a theologian in some Canadian sem seminary, um, and I thought he was, he was basically treated me like a, a troll. I didn't know who he was. He was basically trolling me. Um, and I was, you know, I said some tweet about God commanding genocide and all that, and he jumped all over it. So yeah, we we had a few interactions a few years ago, but it, yeah, you yeah. can't let that, uh, uh, taint your uh, opinion of Randall too much. My first um, engagement with Randall Rouser was on the show Unbelievable with uh, Justin, uh -huh. and um, you know the the knives came out, but that's how the that's how the show is, and that's yeah. how Randall is. You know, he's uh, very combative. Conversation is a blood sport. Uh, well, you know, arm up. But yeah, show. Uh, we had lots of other conversations. He came on my show. We uh, we've had plenty of good engagement. He's actually a a very nice guy. Uh -huh. You know, until he steps in the ring, right? Uh, the, the knives come out. Yeah, but that's but that's just the game. <laughs> yeah, so I I can tell you now if Randall had several rounds of papers with you on his site is because he likes you. <laughs> yeah, I feel so much better, David. Are you good? <laughs> no, no, I give you the thumbs up. You can't see that. <laughs> I can't see it, but I, I got one more thing. I want This is something I wanted to play on our discussion last October. We just didn't have time to get into it. Uh, if you permit me an indulgence in the last few minutes, I've got a clip to play for you uh, from a, uh, you know, John MacArthur. 
This is really interesting. Uh, if you take a, if you want to check a minute, and sh I'll show you this. This is really interesting. Huh? It's John MacArthur. John MacArthur. So if hopefully you can see that. Uh, this is a clip from a few years, 10 years ago. John MacArthur on the subject of slavery and true liberty. Now, I wonder where this where this falls in our discussion as in terms of why he's defending slavery as as he feels he needs to here. So, and hit play. It's only a couple minutes long. It is a little strange that um, we have such an aversion to slavery uh, because historically there have been abuses. There have been abuses in marriage. We don't have an aversion to marriage particularly because there have been abuses. There are, there are parents who abuse their children. We don't have an aversion to having children because some parents have been abusive. Of course, it can have any kind of situation where abuse can can be involved. The reason unions grew up in America was not to free slaves. The reason unions grew up in America was because there were people who had businesses and they were abu abusing their employees. So to throw out slavery as a concept simply because there have been abuses, I think, is to miss the point. In any kind of human relationship, there can be abuses. There can also be benefits. For many people, poor people, perhaps people who weren't educated, perhaps people who had no other opportunity, working for a gentle, caring, loving master was the best of all possible worlds. If you had the right master, everything was taken care of. So we have to go back and take a more honest look at slavery and understand that God has, in a sense legitimized it when it's handled correctly by saying this is the way you're to view your relationship to Jesus Christ. The perfect, all-wise, all-loving, all-compassionate, all-beneficent Lord, and you willing to be his slave because of such unique care provided by him. So he goes on and talks about the Christian slavery, like being a slave to Christ, but I mean, that's the gist of the recording. What do you think of that then, David? I mean, where does he fall in the spectrum of defending slavery from a Christian point of view? Uh, yeah, well, he has he's has no choice because he reads the Bible. Yeah, he's an inerrantist. I read the Bible, uh, and God condones slavery, and so he has to defend it, and he just has to, to tell himself that it's a kinder, gentler slavery. <laughs> let, let, me just, um, let me just say this about the first part of, what he said. I completely agree with that. I think that if your logic is slavery is bad because there are abuses, it's faulty logic. Mm. It's true that uh, slavery certainly invites abuses. Uh, sure. In fact, some, some, mm -hmm. things, some systems invite more abuses in other, than others. They're, they're inherently um, abuse magnets. And I, I think that slavery would be one of those things. But I, I I take his point. Philosophically, you can't condemn a thing simply because it is possible to abuse the thing. Uh, it's, in, it's possible to abuse kitchen knives and use them as murder weapons. But we need kitchen knives, very sharp kitchen knives, to, uh, to do good chef work. So... Um, on that point, uh, I agree with him. I think his point is pretty much irrelevant, though, because I don't think that's what anyone is saying. Um, so I don't, I don't think that people are saying well, slavery is bad because it can be abused. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of a, a, a straw man uh, argument that he's making. Because no one is no one is actually making the opposite yeah, argument. That assertion, right? Uh, at least no one who we should pay any attention to. Yeah. Well, and he makes that point. I think you talked about it in the podcast that the other the counter argument is what he says that, Hey, if you're poor and you're uneducated and down and out, that's actually the best thing you could hope for to be a slave. If you had a good master, it was really beneficial for it. it you know, was, as you mentioned that it's, it's, it's uplifting to these poor people, you know? This so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is where, uh, his argument, um, really starts as far as I'm concerned, yeah. and it's all bad. So let me let me. This is the first time I've heard this, so I'm I'm kind of coming off the top of my head. But let me just yeah. try a, a, an an analogy or two here. Um, you can say that 
prostitution is really good for uh, some women because mm -hmm. otherwise they they have not enough education. Uh, they're down and out. They are homeless. Uh, uh, and, you know, the, the system of prostitution gives them uh, work that they can do. They get paid uh, reasonable money. And as long as they have, you know, good pimps, uh, good loving pimps, this is a good life for them. Mm. Uh, you know, we can we can try that with any number of things, I think. But I think what we are what he is missing here is that there are some things that are, and this is kind of what I was hinting at before, that are by nature exploitative. Mm. Some uh, systems, yeah. And, there, and there's there are reasons why we uh, push against it. So, sex, sex work. This is a this is a thing where I haven't fully thought out all of my uh, opinions. I'm I, I guess I am glad it exists because it it can be a source of freedom for some people if if that is how you are oriented. Mm -hmm. I I can easily see the benefits of sex work but the problem the thing that keeps me from offering a full-throated um endorsement is that it is inherently exploitative mm -hmm. so there is no way to do it well in my opinion and this this is where if someone wants to change my mind on that this is where they would argue they could you know they could say well women are actually um just as much managers in this business as men and uh women have um uh, you know a lot of control over their bodies and their circumstances and mm -hmm. uh, some do this can be done in fact without uh exploitation as as uh as as i am suggesting it and i'm i'm willing to um, hear that argument, but yeah. I know for a lot of women who go into sex work, because I've done um, uh, street ministries and hom homeless ministries, inner, inner, inner city ministries is what I'm trying to get after. Mm -hmm. Those women are not uh, self-possessed. Those women are not, in fact, um, in, in possession of themselves and making good choices. Those yeah. women are freaking desperate. Yeah, the being exploited, and that's right. And you, and sure, voluntarily, but they have no choice. And they're rather than uh, men offering them a step up in a system that could offer them education and food and shelter, they say, "Well, I tell you what, uh, since you're desperate, I'll exploit your body." Mm. Uh, and so I think it is inherently exploitative um you know they get hooked on drugs and uh, you know, there's there's yeah, just controlled by pimps and all that yeah and af after a while there is a this this lifestyle is the only lifestyle yeah that they can do that they can see themselves doing and and it's too late yeah the trapped in it you know in order for a thing to be free will you know a free will decision no 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 actually have to have options right so if if you are you know in a in a, in a train going down a track you don't have the option to go left or right uh -huh. you're on a freaking track yeah <laughs> right one way destination yeah so you you can say well I had the option to get on the train but I didn't know where the train was going and now that I'm going I'd I'd like to get off I'd like to stop the train I'd like to go left I'd, no you're on a track yeah, no uh, choice so for your option to be true th uh, these women have to have life options uh, and and then they choose out of those options that they understand and that are truly accessible for them and. In my experience in inner city ministries, I, I imagine you've had experience like this too. Yeah, they don't they don't have those options. Yeah. So, um, so I use this analogy uh, to come back to slavery. Uh, in slavery situations, uh, you're dealing with people who did not have 
options. Okay, yeah. when um, even in indentured servitude, this was an inherently exploitative system, which, by the way, is why we don't have it today. You, you just kind of need to ask yourself, why does no government do this today? We understand it is inherently exploitative. This is a person who uh, has gotten into debt. Yes. They have no means to pay it back. They don't have a job. Uh, their family is starving. And then someone comes along and says, well, I tell you what you can do. You can be my slave. And they say, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. Because they don't have any options. In, in mm -hmm. this, is, this is kind of uh, the problem with uh, this person's entire argument. You know, for the right person, slavery is good. Actually, you're just exactly. a person in a bad situation. Yeah. Uh, and if it was your son that you were talking about, you wouldn't think he was the right person for slavery. Mm -hmm. You would sell your goddamn house and help him get out of debt so that yeah. he doesn't have to be someone's slave. That's what whatever you could, yeah. Right. You you wouldn't sit there and just blithely say, Well, have you considered selling yourself into slavery? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh hey daughter, have you considered selling yourself into slavery? There is an option for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, that no. No one would do that because they understand that it is inherently exploitative. And when people that they love find themselves in situations where they have no options, they come to rescue them, not to exploit them. Now, slavery is a system that mm -hmm. offers a solution of exploitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can see that. I mentioned uh, in our podcast, reading through uh, Frederick Douglass's autobiography, you know, as well as uh, 30 Years a Slave by Lewis Hughes. I mean, these these two men were born into the slave system, grew up in it, and both escaped the system, you know, and reflected on it while they were slaves. And then again, after when they were free in the North, um, and it did, like you say, it gives the lie to, the, to that argument that, well, it was actually pretty good, and, you know, it was a, a mutually beneficial system and all the rest of it. Um, why did they keep trying to escape, <laughs> you know? If it was such a great system, um, and get brutally flogged and beaten for it every time they got caught, you know, it wasn't just a one-off thing. They tried multiple times, and, and and failed, you know, and got beaten badly as a result of it and punished, you know. So, and yeah, they kept trying, they, until they succeeded, you know. So it does give the lie to that story. Well, I was going to say it's been about an hour now. We we've chatted. Unfortunately, no one was able to drop in on this call, but I've still had a great time. I don't know about you. I know you got COVID. <laughs> So you're gonna have to go rest up a bit yeah, now. Part of my day. So that's <laughs> yeah. Meal after this conversation. <laughs> that's right. This is the highlight. Then, okay. Well, um, thank you so much, David. Um, I was gonna say at some point we're gonna do a. What are we doing? The skeptics, skeptics and seekers Sunday sermon. I'm still looking forward to that. Find the bottom line. Uh, there are no options. There's no escape clause. <laughs> okay. I'm <laughs> in. You're the first one in the month. We missed you this time because we had a guest. And the guest didn't show up. Oh, so I actually had to do a a different show. I didn't call you at the last minute because you could have. I probably would have dropped in. I I just I didn't want to make you feel exploited. Uh, oh, I I would love to I would love to be a part of it. So if you ever get stuck, just give me a shout. I'm probably free since I moved in with my girlfriend. I've had a lot more time because if I was home alone, I'd be probably working on my podcast anyway. But I'm trying to balance things out here, you know. So. We can merge your view. These, uh, my, I can tell you, the others of the four have been stellar. Okay, they, good. They have been stellar, and so you're gonna have to bring your A game. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Never yeah, remember. I, I did a first year. I don't want your first show on SNS to be the letdown. <laughs> uh, I, I did do a PhD on preaching and homiletics, so I've got that going for me. I've yeah, studied that's... sermons, I've studied preaching, you know, historically and all that. So I hope I got something to bring to the table. Oh, you do. Okay. Well, thank you so much, David. I hope you feel better soon. Um, I've had COVID. It's no fun, but um, maybe about a week you'll be you'll be right as rain, as they say. I'll tell you the worst part of it right now, and it sounds so trivial, but I cannot smell or yeah. taste. Uh, it's, I can't taste. Uh, everything tastes like garbage. Yeah. 
you're just eating because you know you have to eat and drink, but you're not enjoying it. I can't eat that much because it's just so unpleasant. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't have that when I had it. I had a must have had a milder case, but I could taste everything. But it, I just kept testing positive for about seven or eight days. And then it finally came up. I just felt like I had kind of a flu and um, just stayed home from work. And that was it for me for about a week. So it wasn't too bad. And then I, I'm, I think I'm okay. But Thank you so much. Uh, let me know when this the, you need me for this new episode of Sunday Sermons, and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. Thank you, David. Hope you'll feel better, and uh, we'll speak to you again. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. See you soon.